Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Amanda. She's 37 and dealing with pelvic pain, discomfort, and heavy periods. After seeing several gynecologists, she was diagnosed with endometriosis and they found a few fibroids. The advice from all of those doctors to get this to stop progressing and bring her some relief was the birth control pill. She really didn't like that idea because she's been on it when she was younger and didn't feel well on it. So she saw more doctors, but each time she got the same advice of taking the pill. She really wanted to find another way and that is when she came to see me. As I reviewed her health history, I could see several factors, such as estrogen dominance, detox issues, and a gut imbalance. While all different, they are all quite connected though, and I knew that we had to put all of them together to find another way besides the birth control pill to balance her body. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Amanda and her struggle with constant pelvic pain and pressure. Joining me on the show today to talk more about this is Dr. Shiroko Sokic. Dr. Shiroko is the owner of Heart to Heart Medical Center in Santa Rosa, California since 1993. Dr. Shiroko is an expert at using many modalities to bring your body to balance and wholeness. Her specialty is healing when it seems impossible. She brings hope and healing to difficult health conditions by blending Chinese and Western medicine with a deep spiritual and emotional healing approach. Trained in general surgery, and working as an emergency room doctor for 10 years while attending acupuncture school, which I think is just amazing, gave Dr. Shiroko a broad range of medical experience. In her new book, Healing When It Seems Impossible, Seven Keys to Defy the Odds, a book about her unique and comprehensive healing approach is now available on Amazon. Dr. Shiroko, I am so excited to have you. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Well, thank you. So I am excited to talk about endometriosis and fibroids today. You know, and I think endometriosis is a problem that affects so many women, but getting to the root of it is not always that easy, especially with very conventional means. So just to make sure that everyone's on the same page, can you tell us a little bit more about what is endometriosis? 
Endometriosis is basically when your uterine tissue starts to uh, grow sort of out of control in places where it shouldn't grow. And so it's a, a kind of a double-edged sword because the you can have uterine tissue growing outside of the uterus. You can have it growing on your tubes or on your belly or, I mean, in your intestines. And it can then responds to hormones and it can cause pain and uh, problems with your periods and, and all kinds of symptoms um, that are really, really uncomfortable. So, you know, with the symptoms, you know, we have pain um, and it might cause irregular periods. What are some other symptoms that people may typically feel? Well, they can have bloating and uh, they could have irregular periods and they could have periods that are extremely, extremely painful. They can have digestive symptoms that come from the endometrial tissue being on the intestinal lining or on the outside of the intestinal lining. So they can have a lot of gut issues. They could have a lot of pelvic pain. They could have pain with sex. There were intercourse. So there's another level. So there's the, the physical imbalance of the endometrial tissue being everywhere, but there's also the um, hormonal symptoms, which are really bad, like really bad emotional PMS could have migraines and headaches and other physical symptoms that are that seem unrelated. So it can be really uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Oh, how common is endometriosis? How often do you see it in your practice? And you know, how common is it overall? Would you say? You know, I don't know the statistics on that, um, but I see it in my practice. You know, I see I tend to see people who have problems that have not been diagnosed or have not been understood. And I see a lot of women who have problems with their periods. So um, I would say I see it, you know, maybe once every month or two. Yeah. Yeah. I see it um, pretty often as well. And, you know, I think what you're saying is really important that a lot of times people are having issues, but they're not properly diagnosed. So what are ways that we can test for endometriosis and, you know, why is it not so easy to find? Um, because it's not so easy to find because it's not the first line of thinking that a lot of doctors, when a patient goes in to have uh, testing done for why they're having pelvic pain or why they're having issues with their periods or whatever, they might be told that they just have PMS. Um, it's diagnosed either through looking like doing a, a pelvic exam. Well, you can do a pelvic exam where you look with a scope inside the belly and you can see it on the tissue. And sometimes you can see it on ultrasound or CT scan or MRI. So that's the definitive diagnosis is actually having to look at the endometrial tissue that's growing in the wrong place. Yeah. So what are some of the underlying causes? Because so many people have it, but why does it happen? Well, that's another really tricky question because there are many underlying causes um, and it depends on who you ask, but there is one theory that it has to do with uh, um, chemical toxicity of our environment and women have a lot of exposure. I read a study once that the types of sanitary devices that women use for when they have their periods are full of certain chemicals that could be affecting more young women and causing them to have more issues with that. Um, there's a lot of estrogenic chemicals in our environment and in our diets that may cause uh, some women to have that uh, overgrowth of endometrial tissue. And there might be some genetic factors that predispose them to that. 
Yeah. And I think what you're saying is, you know, because we're all different, a lot of times the causes are going to be different. So it's just figuring out that underlying cause for each person. Yeah. So how would you go about figuring that out? If someone comes in and you suspect endometriosis, what would you do? If it, if it hasn't already been diagnosed and I suspect it, then I would do... So first of all, there's a whole way that I approach women or anybody who has a sort of mysterious illness. And I kind of look at the whole person. And from the Chinese medicine point of view, in Chinese medicine, pelvic problems and period problems are treated completely different than they are in Western medicine. So is it okay if I give you a little explanation of that? Because I feel like it makes such a huge difference. Please. I would love that. So in Chinese medicine, uh, your menstrual cycles are regulated by your liver. And every organ in Chinese medicine has a different uh, set of physical functions, a different, um, it has emotional functions and spiritual functions more than other, than we do in the West. So the liver's job, besides regulating your menstrual cycles, is it stores the blood, it regulates the smooth flow of energy in your whole body, it deals with the emotion of anger, and its job is to be sort of the master sergeant of getting things done. So when you think about the liver, um, besides uh, it affecting your period, so like if you have PMS or fibroids or ovarian cysts or, or endometriosis, any of that sort of thing, it would fit within the perspective of liver imbalance. But um, we also have many other factors that play into how your body is is behaving. And so um, there's two ways in which I look for what I call the root cause. So first I use Chinese medicine and um, I make a diagnosis by listening to your story and feeling your pulse and looking at your tongue and seeing where there is imbalance in your organs. And for a young woman, it's sometimes fairly easy to shift everything, just doing acupuncture and using some herbs. So um, even if the endometriosis hasn't been diagnosed uh, using acupuncture and, and Chinese herbal medicine, you could change a lot within a very short period of time and have, I don't want to call it miraculous, but, but could be miraculous results. And there's a way of finding the root cause by examining your abdomen and feeling your pulse and looking at your tongue and feeling where the imbalances are, and then using acupuncture to rebalance the system so that it can flow better. Using Western medicine, where I, I practice functional medicine in the Western medicine world, which is kind of similar, it's based on the idea that your body has systems rather than individual organs. So it's not that your uterus is doing something wrong. It's that there's your hormonal system is out of balance. And again, looking for the root cause, there's all kinds of tests that we can do. I can measure your hormones and look where they're out of balance. I could look at uh, chemical toxicity um, and looking for heavy metals or exposure to pesticides or exposure to certain other uh, toxins. We can look at nutritional status of your cells. And by looking at that, again, looking to find where those imbalances are and then giving you the things that you're missing or removing the things that you shouldn't have from your physical body so that your, again, your system can recalibrate and be healthy. 
Yeah, I love that approach. And I often talk about my overflowing bucket analogy on the show. And, you know, it's kind of similar to what you're saying, where, you know, if you have toxins and if you have deficiencies and if you have imbalances, you know, all of these things are going to add up. And so it's kind of looking to see what's out of balance, not necessarily organ by organ, but system by system. So you mentioned looking at hormone balance. What are some of your favorite tests for that? Well, really, mostly I do one test called the Dutch test, which is a dried urine something something test. Yeah, I love the Dutch and test. <laughs> I look, um, there's many ways to use the Dutch test, but uh, it depends on the woman. But uh, the hormones that your body produces are much more than just estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, which is, those are your sex hormones. And But your adrenals produce a whole bunch of other hormones and your thyroid produces hormones and your pancreas produces hormones. So you have hormones being produced in many places. And when they're out of balance, there's a whole symphony of imbalance that's happening. So you want to find what is going on. So the test, the Dutch test looks at all of your adrenal hormones. There's eight different kinds of estrogen that you produce. Um, and it, and there's several kinds of progesterone and several kinds of testosterone and cortisol and DHEA and all of those things are uh, have an impact on how your body's functioning. The other cool thing about the test is that it not only looks at what your hormone levels are, but it also looks at how your body uses them, which can be determined by genetics and, again, some exposure to toxins. With that test, I can see what your hormone levels are, and you could do that either like a cycle map where you can – do a sample every day and look at what's happening throughout the course of your cycle. Or you can do it just before your period when you're feeling at your worst and seeing, you know, what is that? What are your hormones doing at a certain time of month when things are feeling really bad? And then I would also, again, I would do something called an organic acids test. Um, actually, there's a test I use that's much more extensive than organic acids that's a uh, blood and urine called a NutriVal, and it looks at um, how your cells generate energy, your digestive system sort of as an overview looks for parasites or bacteria and uh, yeast production, and how you absorb the foods that you eat. It looks at amino acids, the chemistry that your brain, the chemicals your brain produces, vitamins, minerals, toxins, heavy metals, and your body's ability to detoxify and manage what we call oxidative stress. So it's a very extensive test, extensive test. And the way I see it, when, when you have a mystery illness or even when you have an illness that's just not responding to what treatments you're having, is that I believe through the work that I've done for so many years that if you have your hormones in balance, your immune system in balance, and your nervous system in balance, those are sort of the building blocks of your whole body being able to function. So even if I haven't been able to find the root cause of the condition, if I balance those three things, your hormones, your nervous system, and your immune system, what I call the triangle of wellness, then your body will have the tools that it needs in order to do whatever it needs to get well. 
Mm, I can't agree more. I love that because, you know, people sometimes forget that our body does have this innate ability to heal. You know, we always say it, but we don't really think about that, you know. So if you fix those three important things, then once your immune system is better, your body then can fight infections better or do some of the other things better as well. So I love that. Exactly. Yeah. For just back to the testing for a second. So with, you know, if you're doing a Dutch test and you have someone that, may have, say, fibroids or endometriosis, are there any patterns that you notice? And I understand that every person, of course, is going to be different, but are there certain things that you tend to see, you know, certain imbalances that tend to be a little bit more common with hormones in those cases? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I want to think there's a pattern, but I also want to not think there's a pattern (laughs) (laughs) because... I want to treat each person as an individual and I want to give her the attention that she deserves. And if I start thinking too much in patterns, then I, then I'm kind of falling out of that, uh, focusing on that particular person. But quite often there is sort of an estrogen dominance and a, and a, and a dysfunction in how our bodies handle the estrogens. And again, that comes from this estrogen, um, what do we call it, toxicity that we're exposed to in our environment. And, you know, I, I've had women or moms call me when their daughters start their period when they're seven or eight years old, which is way too early. And it's kind of related mm-hmm. in that, you know, they're being exposed to what we call xenoestrogens or so outside of their body estrogens that are not natural to them. And so they're getting too much hormone exposure. And uh, so you want to help the body handle toxins better. You want to minimize exposure to those same toxins. So you want to get rid of anything that could be causing or causing those kind of problems. And then you want to help the body get more balanced and get the right nutrients. Yeah. For those that may not be familiar with xenoestrogens, can you talk a little bit more about what those are and what are some of the things that people would need to take out so that they're limiting their exposure to xenoestrogens? Yes, I can. Well, first of all, um, they're in a lot of pesticides, you know, so foods that are heavily coated in pesticides or um, not organic uh can cause you to be exposed to more estrogens. Also, any meats that are grown, and there's a lot of animals like chicken and beef and pork um, that are grown, quote unquote, not naturally. So they're given a lot of hormones when they're grown. And then when you eat that meat, you're getting those hormones. Um, So there's actual direct hormone exposure. And then there's the xenoestrogens, which are things like certain plastics that we're exposed to. And, you know, we drink out of plastic bottles, we have plastic bags, we have plastic silverware, we have plastic dishes, you know, like we have so much plastic. And uh, if you microwave food in plastic containers, not to mention that microwaving is not good, but there's that exposure to plastic. So one of the things that I tell people who are trying to kind of minimize their exposure to xenoestric estrogens is to really look at what foods they're eating and to make sure that if you're eating any meat, it's organic and grass fed and sort of as natural as possible. One, two, to get vegetables that are at least not highly toxic. And uh, there's a website called EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group. 
Yeah. And they have a list of the clean 15 and the, and the dirty dozen. Um, so there are foods that are so high in pesticides, you really should never eat them. Like I think spinach is on that list right at the moment. Potatoes and peaches. Yeah. Apples are on it. And um, anyway, there's like 12 foods that are on really high list. Yeah. And you should just definitely never eat those foods. Strawberries. The clean 15 are supposed to be not high in those certain chemicals, but you could, you know, you could either go all organic or kind of look for the right organic, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're on a budget. And um, so that's food wise. And then in your house, you want to minimize the amount of chemicals that you're exposed to. And again, there's a million chemicals every day, but there are certain kinds of toxins in our detergents and um, the things that we wash our clothes in and uh, the plastic bottles and plastic, everything. So, you know, one of the things that I did is I, I, I put all, I store all my food in glass containers and I carry it with my, with me to work in glass containers. And it's funny because I have a few employees, you know, and they kind of think I'm nuts because I won't put my, especially anything that's oily, any kind of food that's oily, if you put it in a plastic container, it's literally melting the plastic and blending with the plastic. So then you're really getting the, the plastic in your, in the oil. And I tell my employees this all the time and they're just like, they're just like, oh, whatever, Shiroko. No, but it's so important. I do the same. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, you know, a few things that you could do. And and I know that can sound really overwhelming, but you just start with one little change that you make in a day. Um, and then you go and you make another change and then you make another change, you know, and, and kind of build up the changes. And then over time, you'll have the experience of feeling a lot better. Absolutely. Now, if someone does have estrogen dominance and you see that on the test and, you know, of course you would advise them to be careful with the outside estrogens, but are there also um, supplements or other foods that you would recommend that they have to help bring that into balance? Yes. And so that comes into another thing that I haven't mentioned that may play a role that is the um, genetic factors. And our bodies have a genetic, and this is part of what you can see on the Dutch test, which is really cool. Um, You can see whether your body can handle certain toxins, you know, and, and in the estrogen dominance, we have certain pathways of detoxification. And if you are unable to handle certain toxins, then your body can't process certain estrogens. Um, Like I have that genetic um, imbalance. There's two pathways of detoxification, phase one and phase two. And in phase one is a, a thing called the cytochrome P450 pathway. And it takes toxins from being fat soluble and all hormones are fat soluble to in between stage. And then phase two takes it from in between stage to water soluble. So you can pee it out. And if it gets stuck between phase one and phase two, then that's when it becomes dangerous and it can cause these chemical toxic reactions that we get and can be as bad as causing cancer, even in some people. Um, so you want to be able to get through phase two and some people have the inability to process chemicals at those levels. It's very easy to change that. It just takes certain supplements to help support that ability to detoxify. And so like, uh, for women who are estrogen dominant, there's certain supplements like calcium D glucarate, which helps the liver process 
it's not just the liver, but the, it helps the liver. I love calcium deglucrate, one of my favorites. So yeah, so do we. <laughs> and there's uh, glutathione, which every single time you detoxify one chemical molecule in your liver, in your body, you use one molecule of glutathione. And so if your body's handling a lot of toxins, you just add extra glutathione and you're able to process it. But again, if you have certain inabilities to handle toxins, then you have to take certain nutrients to support that. So they always say eat foods that are high in sulfur, like broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and things like that, because they help your body process those toxins. But if you have a genetic inability to handle sulfur, which is what those vegetables have, then you need certain support supplements. This is where that whole individual thing comes into play, you know, like which which imbalance do you have? And all of that can be figured out. All of that can be managed. You know, it's not as complicated as it sounds. Mm -hmm, exactly. I love what you're saying because yeah, everyone is different. And that's the thing. Sometimes, you know, I talk about this so much on the show, you know, people will say, okay, I'm going to eat kale because it's so good for you. It has this, this, and this, you know, and then they may have a sulfur issue and they start breaking out, getting hives, getting, you know, redness and swelling around their eyes. And I go, what's going on? I'm eating so healthy, you know, and then that creates more health mystery. So you're absolutely right. It's about really getting to the bottom of each individual person. But when you do, you know, there is an answer, you know, and kind of like you said, you know, with the name of your book, like healing, even when it seems impossible, because you're getting to the bottom of what your specific thing is. And by the way, I love the name of your book, because I feel like it kind of goes so much along with what I'm doing also with Health Mystery Solved and, you know, really showing people that, you know, the answers may not be the same for every person, and they may not be exactly what you think they may be, but they are typically out there. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned glutathione and I'm curious, do you have a favorite test for glutathione? Well, I do that Nutribel and it measures glutathione and it measures your body's handling of glutathione. I like that a lot. And in the Dutch test, they also actually do a little look at glutathione in the urine. Yeah, they do that organic acid part now. I think that's newer, but they started doing that. Yeah. So, uh, and the cool thing is when your glutathione levels are either high in your urine or too low, it could mean that your body needs more support of glutathione because if it's high, it means that your body needs more help to process something. And if it's low, then of course it needs more support. Um, basically, I think this is why I have everybody do a cleanse or as many people as I could get to do a cleanse <laughs> in spring and in fall. Um, because it's kind of like, uh, the clean your house in spring Well, clean your body in spring, you know? Um, so, and the way I have people do a cleanse is not, uh, not just to, you know, clean up what they eat or do enemas or anything like that, but to support the body with the kinds of nutrients that it needs in order to handle toxins. And it works really well because those people feel really good. And then, you know, it's a couple of times a year, just for a couple of weeks, I noticed that on your website that you also have a detox that you offer. And, and I think that's just a good idea a couple times a year to really just give your body a rest from certain foods and to, to, to give it the nourishment that it needs to handle the toxins. Yeah, for sure. Because toxicity really is, you know, at such a core of so many health issues. Yeah. Now, yeah. now when we talk about some other like pelvic kind of issue. So, you know, I know we're talking about endometriosis, but what about something like ovarian cysts or fibroids? Do you find that they kind of go along with each other? 
Well, again, in, in, in different systems of medicine, things are different. Um, um, in Chinese medicine, uh, the liver, again, regulates your smooth flow of energy in your whole body, and it regulates your menstrual cycles. Fibroids are uh, like basically benign tumors that grow in your uterus. So that your, your liver energy is not flowing smoothly. And then you've got these masses that accumulate in your uterus and, um, and it's in, so there's so many ways of looking at things and there's so many ways of treating things. And of course there's, that's a slightly different imbalance than having a cyst on your ovary. Your ovaries are in a different sort of in a different system because the, the uterus is connected to both your spleen and your liver and the ovaries are connected to your kidneys because they are full of hormones. And, and so anyway, it's a lot of different elements from the Chinese perspective, but there's also emotional things, you know, and, and uh, so I look at it from all of those different levels. Like I look, so there's the the liver meridian, which regulates the motion of anger. And then there's what chakra something is. And each chakra has emotional and spiritual functions as well. Hmm. And so if something's in the second chakra, it has to do with power, sex, and money. So there might be issues around, usually, of course, in the sex organs has to do with either creativity. The uterus has to do with creativity or it has to do with, you know, anger around sexuality, things like that. And it's not that I blame an emotion for something, but I just keep the emotion in mind, which is again, why I love Chinese medicine, because in Chinese medicine, the emotion just is an integral part of what's happening with your body. And it's not considered a separate thing. It's just like, okay, we're, we're working to balance this physical structure but it's also helping that emotional connection with that physical structure. Mm, so then if someone is doing like herbs, let's say, or acupuncture, it could be helping that emotion as well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think we process our emotions through our bodies quite often. And so sometimes you may not even know that there's an emotional connection to something and you may never, ever have to know if you just let your body heal in whatever way it needs to go. Right. Um, but I'll give you a story of one of my patients who developed a huge fibroid, um, sort of around perimenopause, which is not uncommon that you get because around perimenopause, you'll have hormones that fluctuate. And so because of that fluctuation, uh, sometimes you'll have a burst of estrogen, which will kind of cause something like a, a fibroid or a, or an ovarian cyst. Um, and then you'll have a deficiency of, you know, so like these things will go up and down and then they cause imbalances in how our body handles things. Anyway, she had this pretty large fibroid and she was bleeding all the time. And she did not want to have her uterus removed. And the doctors kept saying, we want to take out your uterus. And she was like, no, no, no. So she kept coming for acupuncture and we managed it with, you know, some hormonal support and with acupuncture over a couple of years. But at one point she figured out that she had had a, a beloved pet that died right around the time when she started having this terrible bleeding. One and and that she and he she had never had a physical child, so this was her child, and so the grief connected to that was what was affecting the bleeding. And once she figured that out, she basically stopped bleeding. Wow, that's amazing! And the fibroid is like gone, like 
gone. Like, and she's a, a, a small woman and she looked like she was seven months pregnant, you know, with this huge fibroid, but it, it's now completely gone, completely disappeared. I had another patient similarly who had lost uh, her son in, in an accident. And after that, she started bleeding every month and also had fibroids and didn't want a hysterectomy. And with her, because uh, it was so obvious to me on the first visit, I told her, you know, I think that your problem is not that it's a, a, a physical hormone imbalance. I think it's that the trauma of losing your son has affected you kind of as if the uterus is crying. Right. Mm, And she thought I was nuts. I could tell she looked at me like, okay, whatever. And I gave her a treatment and she didn't book a second appointment, but, um, I had told her that I could do this. uh, I do post-traumatic stress treatments and I told her I could do this post-traumatic stress treatment and she didn't book a second appointment, but then I called her a few days later and I just said, Oh, I just wanted to check in with you. Um, and see how you did. And she said, you know, my bleeding completely stopped. Wow. Whatever you did, I feel completely different. And I had only done one treatment. That's amazing. And so she actually came in for the whole trauma series. And then she told me over time, you know, that first of all, his death had caused her to like, she was working in a store instead of, you know, and instead of fulfilling her dreams, she was kind of stuck in this place. And she said, once the treatments had happened, she was unstuck. She found her true love career. She was able to get back into a relationship with the man she loved. Wow. I mean, like her whole life changed because she had been stuck in this trauma. Mm. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's so cool. That's so inspiring. And, you know, and I think conventionally, the only thing that really is recommended surgery, which is like, all right, we can't fix it. So let's just pull the whole thing out. But then obviously it's not dealing with the underlying issues. So that's really just so beautiful to hear these stories. And obviously, you know, with hearing all that, you know, you're saying that surgery is not the only answer for fibroids or endometriosis. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, within endometriosis, you know, I know that sometimes that could be a little bit more difficult than fibroids, you know, depending on the person, but do you find that that can also shrink? Oh, of course. My belief, why I called my book Healing When It Seems Impossible is first of all, sometimes things just seem impossible, both physically and emotionally, right? That just seem too hard to overcome. But as long as you have living cells, I believe in healing. Mm. I believe that your cells can heal and that you can recover. If the imbalances pile up for too long, it takes longer, you know, but, but yes, I believe in healing. And now I know you also do a lot on the spiritual side and the emotional side, and you mentioned um, trauma work that you do. What are some of the other modalities that you use from the spiritual and emotional side? You know, I mean, I do acupuncture, herbs, and functional medicine. (laughs) And I also do a little bit of hands-on, like craniosacral work and very gentle manipulation to help support people's bodies. But in terms of spiritually, for me... um, I'm always trying to help a person see what the root cause is and where is the deepest connection to the problem. And so if the root cause is a spiritual imbalance or an emotional imbalance, then I guide them in that direction. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've observed over, I've been in practice now for, gosh, I've been in, in my business for 26 years, but I've been a doctor since 1984. So quite a while, right? 
and I've seen literally thousands of patients and, and had my own issues emotionally and spiritually and physically that I've had to recover from. So I have a lot of experience in this. And what I find is that when you are struggling with something, especially a physical illness, we often feel angry at our bodies. We often feel disappointed that our bodies aren't doing what we want them to be doing. And, uh, my first key of the seven keys is to love your body and not to feel betrayed or angry and to recognize that your body is your friend. And for those of you who are struggling with difficult health issues, what I say is there's a purpose. That's the seventh key is to find the purpose to what that is. So many people that I know and so many of my patients actually when they've struggled with something, especially from a young age, it actually turns out they're meant to help others with some by healing themselves first and then learning to help others. And that if you attach whatever it is you're going through to some higher purpose, to some deeper understanding, that then it becomes less traumatic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you shift the focus essentially from blame and betrayal to, you know, healing and and hope and hopefully, you know, like you said, purpose and helping others. I mean, I can attest to that for sure. I've dealt with so many different health issues and, you know, I think it was because I needed to go through that so that I can help others. So definitely, definitely get that. Yeah. So I know that you were an emergency room doctor first. How did that lead to going to acupuncture school? Well, I actually was a surgeon first. Um, Mm. (laughs) Okay. I went to surgical residency um, out of medical school. And it's a long story, basically. But when I was five years old is when I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And it was because my great-grandmother collapsed in front of me. And she didn't die that day, but she died shortly after. And and when I was told that she had died, I was told that her heart had stopped beating. And so my first thought was, first of all, I had already... my best friend had left me, you know, and I didn't know anything about death, but I was like, well, I ought to be able to fix it. So I tried to figure out how to get her heart beating again mm-hmm. at age five. Wow. And that was the day I decided I wanted to save or to, to be a doctor so I could save lives. And fast forward many years to the first time I got to save a life was when a person came through the ER as when I was a medical student and had a gunshot wound and I got to go to the surgery to help save his life. So I've always had this sort of, first of all, stubbornness in terms of wanting to help people get well, to stop pain, to save lives and to make life better. And, and so in surgical residency, you know, there was that excitement of occasionally getting to save a life, but a lot of times there were still problems that people had that I couldn't fix. Even with the best of Western medicine, I couldn't fix. And so I got frustrated and I started looking for other answers. And um, somebody gave me this book called The Web That Has No Weaver about Chinese medicine. And I was in my second year of residency and I had sort of my first midlife crisis at age 26. And was like, what am I really meant to be doing? And then I got this book and I read it and I was like, oh my God, I have to do acupuncture. This is amazing. And it began, you know, a lifelong love affair since then with Chinese medicine and the ability to help people heal from so many angles. And 
So I left my surgical residency after my second year and went to work in the ER. And then I also went to acupuncture school. So I kind of evolved as a physician and as an acupuncturist sort of at the same time, right? which is different than a lot of people, you know, because they've been in practice for a while before they study acupuncture. Yeah, for sure. Well, what a beautiful story though. And, you know, kind of where you've come from and where you are today and all of the people that you're helping to really get to their root cause. That's really great. Yeah. Um, Dr. Shiroko, thank you so much for all of this valuable information and explaining more about endometriosis and fibroids and, you know, really how people can get to their root cause. I really, really appreciate you being here. Oh, my pleasure. It was delightful talking to you. Thank you. As you just heard, there are many things that are involved in solving the underlying causes of endometriosis and fibroids. I'll tell you more about what we did for Amanda in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Shiroko Sokic, and her practice, you can find all of her information in the show notes. Just scroll down in any of your podcast apps, or you can visit healthmysterysouth.com, and everything is under episode 56. And for Amanda, we ran a Dutch test and saw that there was in fact estrogen dominance, as I suspected, and she was not properly detoxifying or metabolizing her estrogen. We first worked on changing her diet to change out the meat and dairy produced with hormones that she was eating to a more natural and clean version of that. And we looked at her personal care and cleaning products to significantly reduce her exposure to xenoestrogens. Plastics were also a big thing in her house, so we started to slowly change out her Tupperware and water bottles for glass and stainless steel. Along with this, I put Amanda on calcium deglucrate and DIM to help her better metabolize and detox her estrogen while naturally supporting the proper estrogen and progesterone balance with chase trait. We added in methylated B vitamins in liquid form and used the combination of EPA, DHA, and GLA, which are all different types of omegas, to help balance her omega profile. While doing all of these nutritional interventions, I recommended that Amanda see an acupuncturist who specializes in hormone balance, and we found someone that was very close to her work so she could go once a week on her lunch break. After two months on the nutritional protocol and the acupuncture, Amanda noticed her cycle was not as heavy and she didn't have as much pain. Four months after starting everything, the pelvic pressure reduced significantly. She went back to her gynecologist for an annual, and the ultrasound showed that her fibroids have shrunk to about half the size that they were last year. Woohoo! It was a little bit harder to measure the exact progression of the endometriosis because we can't measure that the same way that we can measure the fibroids. But being that her pain and pressure was so much better, we knew that we'd made progress there as well. Amanda was very glad to be feeling so much better. If Amanda sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next topic or health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please don't give up. The answers are out there and my goal is to show you as many possibilities as I can. You are not alone and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.